Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo returned to WCW together and hit the reset button. We're covering the April 10th, 2000 episode of Nitro, and Eric Bischoff will be calling in to answer your questions. You listen to them? Now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olsen. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Hello, 83 Weeks fans. You are tuned in to the show that covers all the big reveals. We get your fan reactions. And, of course, Eric Bischoff will be Skyping in a little bit later to answer all of your questions. My name is Christy Olson, and tonight joining me is a veteran of this business. You guys can also catch him on the SmackDown After Show on AfterBuzz TV. Hello, Christian Rosenberg. Hello, Christy. How are you? I am great, thank you. I'm doing great as well. Happy to have you here and uh, right alongside him. Yeah, hey! We are such a happy bunch today. Let's check in with this guy. I don't know what that face is, but we call him the Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment. He's also an independent wrestler, and he's got that, you know, man bun or whatever. <laughs> Hello, Jer Tremosa. You, you just can't stand the man bun. I really can't. I can't do it. <laughs> it's okay. You'll be a front row for my hair versus title match when that happens. Oh, I can't wait. You're going to be rooting wait. for the other person for whatever reason. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I wonder if either of you guys, at the ripe age of however the heck old you were in the year 2000, if you were rooting for a return (laughs) by Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo to WCW, what do you remember about this time? What were your thoughts as a fan? I'm going to bore you right now. Uh, I, I, as as a, I mean, we were all marks, but like as a guy that was like the kind of the the one two percent that just loved everything wrestling related. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, like I was, okay. I was excited for it because like when between Russo leaving in January and this, I thought Nitro was insanely boring because it was like Hogan back as the red and yellow flare, Terry Funk, like it was just so boring. So knowing that like Russo was going to come back with Bischoff, because before then it was like Kevin Sullivan, I think it was like Bill Bush, exactly. It was so yeah. it was just boring. Like it was just so hard to watch sometimes. And I got so I was excited that they were going to do something. I didn't know they were going to do like a full reset. I just I was excited they would do something. I I barely watched WCW at this point it was because, boring. I was, right. because, you, because you I was completely done. I, I was completely checked out of it. I mean. I, but when I think I saw out? the commercial. Uh, I don't remember the exact date. Well, like I, mean, you. I don't know dates like you. <laughs> but, but I mean, I remember hearing that there was going to be a big announcement at the beginning of Nitro. Mm-hmm. So I, de- I definitely did tune in to see what's going to happen. Then when I watched them strip all the titles, where it really didn't make a whole lot of sense for some of them, just like, oh, Val Venus is on. All right, I'll watch that instead. <laughs> And especially because, like, you flip over to Raw, and it's, like, The Rock, Triple H, like, Austin and Undertaker were in the area, but, like, Guerrero and, and Jericho were just killing it. And it's yeah. like, what am I going to watch, like, a long promo with, you know, just a bunch of guys in the ring, or am I going to watch some, you know, nice, fast-paced action? And and it's it's things where you do a shoot or a work shoot promo, mm-hmm. but there are those type of promos where you feel, no, they're just really reaching and desperate. And as a 17-year-old, not at all involved in the wrestling business yet... I can tell that. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a problem. I wasn't like into dirt. I didn't even know dirt sheets existed at age 17. I know George was pretty much reading them nonstop <laughs> as, um, you know, bedtime material. Him and Conrad. But, yeah. But I, I, I was just on TV watching. And I was just like, no. See, because... Because I love the, like, shots when they would mention, like, the WWF. Like, even that whole, like, Bash at the Beach Russo, like, promo. Like, I loved it. Like, I thought, at the time, I thought, I was like, oh, this is this is compelling TV for me. But kind of looking back in hindsight, not that I don't think it's good, great. It's like, you really expect to, to dominate the ratings with this kind of presentation. Like, you're really catering to the 1%. Like, you can clearly see that they were catering to the dirt sheet or dirt sheet readers, whatever, you know? It's yeah. like, they want to feel like, oh, well, we're not going to do whatever what the dirt sheet wants. So, like, no, that's like such a small percentage of the huge wrestling fan base. It was really surprising to hear Eric kind of admit that, but mm. he wasn't super clear. He kind of said something like, I was into the dirt sheets or some sort of throwaway mm. comedy mix about it on the show, so I can't wait to ask him, like, was he trying to work with them? Was he trying to kayfabe them? Was he reading the dirt Christy sheets? Loves I dirt need clarification. Sheets. She I loves do. dirt sheets. With a big old heart and an arrow through it. <laughs> Aw. What about this idea? Eric says that he was actually kind of excited to work with Vince Russo. And after everything that's happened and everything we know now, I just the idea that he would go into it kind of with an open mind is really fascinating. Oh, I, I mean, I, I think that's understandable because it's just a matter of, okay, well, I have my opinion, my thoughts of things. I've heard all these things about him, good yeah. and bad. It's worth a shot at this point. They're paying me all this money. <laughs> let's try it. Let's see if something sticks. Nothing did. I think the but biggest. Let's try it. I think the biggest misconception is that Vince Russo is not a creative guy. He's a very creative guy. Maybe a little too creative, you know. But obviously, I don't think you were able to find that out until much later. And we've all heard it multiple times uh, from Bischoff. Russo can be a very charming guy, mm-hmm. but once that charm kind of wears off, or you see kind of through it, then it's like, oh. But so I think at this time period. You know, you weren't really aware of what you can get with him because it was still in that little. It's like when you first start dating somebody, it's like, oh, everything, of course, looks perfect. Well, because he was creative, maybe, yes, but according to people behind the scenes, he was too dark and didn't understand storytelling, which is kind of an integral part of uh, sports entertainment. I, I, I think there are stories. I disagree to disagree because I think, I think the storytelling was fine. I just think that as far as pacing and presentation, it's like mm-hmm. you're watching a wrestling show. How many. Pro, how many uh, in-ring promos do you have to have? At right. some point, you're going to have to have a match. Well, you have more low blows than matches. Yeah, also. you have low blows. You have not a ref bumps. You know, it's like if you're going to do promos, at least put a match between promos. You know well, what I mean? Well, I know there was one of these promos that got you pretty fired up, George, because since we've been doing this show for how many months, you've been saying, there's this one line this one time, and I can't wait till they cover it I so that I can wait. ask Bishop about wait. it. I can't wait. Because they kind of, I, I knew that he was going to, I knew Conrad Okay, was so gonna, what was the line well, for everybody who watched the well, show back? Well, when the beginning, beginning of the episode, when, you know, they had to give up all the belts, Eric Bischoff goes up to Sid and says, give me your belt, give me your belt, Sid hesitates, you know, whatever, whatever. It's like, oh, what's the matter? Do you need your scissors? And I'm like, oh, wow. That's... Refer- referencing the infamous event between I know. And, 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 studio and I knew that there was no way that Conrad was not going to talk about that on the show, mm-hmm. but I, I was a little disappointed at uh, uh, how much they talked about it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. I found an opening. Now I'm going to ask him a super question that I know, or a super cool question that I know I'm going to be able to talk to him. <laughs> On Skype in a few minutes. <laughs> He's been waiting for it, guys. I, I really have. <laughs> well, and Eric was getting paid a boatload of money to be there, as as he admitted. Someone who probably wasn't making enough money to humiliate himself was Mark Madden. <laughs> and uh, Eric really gave <sighs> us some some behind-the-scenes juice on that segment that went down with him uh, when he was beaten. His shirt was ripped off. It was pretty humiliating, I think, to say the least. What were your thoughts on Eric's take on it now? I mean... 
he he didn't like it, and I can understand why. I mean, you could he even went so far as to say that he regretted it. Yeah, and and you could tell when watching it. I mean, there's there's trying to pull back restraint in a wrestling setting that you can tell they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mark Madden was fearing for his life. <laughs> He was fearing for his fat, paler than me life, <laughs> and and I don't blame him. There was no reason for a heel to be angry. Say I'm going to kick someone's ass, and the person he goes for is the only other heel around the entire ring. And especially because, like, if, if if on the paper says, "All right, you're going to be With zero a, training," you're going to no, get you're no going to get beat up by Tank Abbott. Yeah, like. Like really, like it's, it's, you, nobody thinks of that as unsafe. It's not like you're getting beat up by Braun Strowman, who's gone through the you know the PC and getting trained by the, some of the best. But like Tank Abbott, like who trained Tank Abbott to wrestle? Like I, mean, I don't even know. Oh, well, I don't know, but, but, that, but that would it would essentially it would almost I'm not even be the equivalent. I was going to say like you know say it's Mark Madden getting beat up by Brock Lesnar. Well, Brock Lesnar is a trained wrestler. Yeah, he beat up Michael Cole like a few years ago. Yeah, but it, but yeah, this is just like this would essentially be if if we brought who's a top UFC guy right now. Like a John Jones, one. John Jones, John Bones Jones. Let's say John Bones Jones shows up on Raw, and all of a sudden they say, um, "Hey, uh, Byron Saxton, John Bones Jones is going to beat the hell out of you." What the hell is he going to do? <laughs> I mean, knowing Byron Saxton, he would be all in a million percent. Well, he'll do it, but <laughs> John Bones Jones ain't going to know what to do. Wrestler, yeah, that's true. So he's not going to know, and he's probably going to hurt him. Not intentionally, per se, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know any better. In this case, that was the case with Tank Abbott. And then you throw in, he's beating up someone who doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They admit <laughs> on the show that Mark Madden was forced to do this, that yeah. he admittedly did not want to do it. That's uh, that's pretty shocking, shall we say. And uh, you talked about trained wrestlers and not trained and this and that, and I'm wondering... Well, actually, I, I know because we watched this all together. What you guys thought of that uh, big old cheer shot that Eric delivered during this episode? So of course, much he's, a, he's a martial artist, but not necessarily a trained wrestler. He's talked before, though, about oh, uh, when we were discussing um, a move that Vince McMahon did in the ring, right? And Eric was saying that it wasn't, it shouldn't be polished. It shouldn't look like mm-hmm. a shot that a wrestler takes because yeah. that person isn't a wrestler. You would think the same thing applies to and, Eric, and right? I thought it was fine. Yeah, and, and that's a key thing, um, especially with managers. And I, I actually um, remember I'm going to, you know, throw in a little name drop here. One time when I was interviewing Jimmy Hart, um, he, you know, he, he t- I talked to him about, you know, like getting attacked in, in matches and things like that. And he's like, I shouldn't. I shouldn't take a bump as good of a wrestler because I'm not a wrestler. Exactly. It should. It should look sloppy. I should look un, uncoordinated. Mm-hmm. And even when you're swinging a weapon, so Eric Bischoff should not grab the chair at the end, mm-hmm. go full swing at at someone who you clearly watch blade his forehead. Yes. Oh on, my god! On clear as day on the camera. Please go back and if for anything <laughs> on this episode. Just to watch Hulk Hogan clearly blade his forehead before the chair shot. But Eric Bischoff shouldn't do it the same way as all of them. Right. He has a chair. He throws it in it to the best of a, a smaller non-wrestler's ability. I was fine with it. All right. Well, so what did stick out to you maybe in this episode? It's We kind of widely, we've, we've panned it. I know just because we watched it all together, you guys didn't care for much. Was there anything that you did like or that you thought was promising or showed potential? I mean, I thought the whole show was potential. It just what that ended up happening was nothing with it. You know, you had Shane Douglas like end up teaming up with Buff Bagwell like the following pay per view, which is six days. What a weird like last That's show very, before the pay per view. Yeah, and then you had Mike Awesome like who I, I think we were all fans of, but then like he ends up being the fat chick thriller and Team Canada and like all these things. That's like 
Yeah, like that's not Mike Awesome that can do. Like he can do more than that. You know, mm-hmm. the the thing I enjoyed the most about this entire show there was that promo with Shane Douglas and Mean Gene because that yeah. was the first mm-hmm. time that someone really seemed upset about what's going on in Gene, and Shane was building up this. Um, from that one promo, we got the whole story of why he's upset at Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was, to me, really the only type of build for any type of feud in this entire episode. Now, I get it's a refresh, we're starting over, blah, blah, blah. But, hey, we need story. We need to understand why people are feuding for whatever titles are with each other. Mm-hmm. And this was the f- first and really only thing we got on this episode. Actually, the favorite, my favorite part of the whole episode was Kimberly Page. You mentioned that a few times while we were watching. Several times. She takes a guitar shot to the head that looked pretty gnarly. I thought it looked fine. I mean, gnarly like it looked like it would hurt. Yeah. It looked legit for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So why why did you enjoy Kimberly? So I just much I just think she she is so like George. so gorgeous like like I mean compared to even like Are you years before Talk with like that when she was the diamond doll and the booty babe, I'm like she was like maybe even babe. top three like of all time in this time. Top three what? Women in wrestling. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna leave that as it is. Yeah, maybe. Like, cause Stacey Kilber hadn't really developed into like. Okay, her okay let's keep going. <laughs> no, because she going, was Christy. still like you know standards and practices and whatnot. We didn't have any Nitro Girls on this episode. We saw them like in the beginning, but not. I mean, not dancing. The intro. No, video. they were in the intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but no Nitro Girls. Sad. Oh, that reminds me of a. I want to ask Eric something about the Nitro Girls. Oh, cool. All right, we did see in a debut from Mike Awesome on mm-hmm. the show, which was ruined. Um, oh, wow, we are so out of time. <laughs> um, nobody knows who was driving the White Hummer, and it doesn't really matter. Well, it was Bischoff. It was Bischoff. It was Bischoff and Kidman. Because there was a storyline like nine months well, before. Well, yeah, but not ki- like that wasn't going to be the story. Well, the story was Eric drove into the limo. Right. But it was a recurring storyline with like the who drove the White Hummer from like nine months before. Right. I thought it was Sting, actually. That's another episode. Wow. I, guess. I always thought it was Sting that drove the, that White Hammer in the beginning. All right, guys. Anything to add about uh, Monday Nitro, April 10th, 2000, the big reset? All I, all I know is I'm very excited for us to get Eric on the phone because we have apparently a debate, and I'm trying not to win. So That's you have true. not told me what we're debating. That's right. I will I will just give you one little clue, guys, to make you all stay tuned. We're going to play a little game that I'm calling, eh, could have been better. And our big winner here, he's 3-0, and Christian Rosenberg. So we put him at a disadvantage, and I didn't give him any of the details of the game. I don't know anything game. of what's going on. That's the, fr- that's the most I know with. right there, the yeah. title. What the debate is, he has no idea we've given George the big advantage tonight. So we will see if, for the first time, someone can knock Christian Rosenberg I'm trying off to let of his you win. Weeks pedestal. I'm trying, George. Okay. <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm going to try. I'm going to try really, really hard. Like, I I, 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 I got it. I think I'm good. Okay. It's it's, it's, it's coming. Wow. I have no idea I what's happening. I am so convinced. I'm sure you guys are on the edge of your seats for this one right now. You can't wait. So we won't make you. We will be back in just a moment with Eric Bischoff. Stay tuned. Welcome back to After 83 Weeks. Joining us now, the executive producer and eventual president of WCW. He's an author, an entrepreneur, and the host of 83 Weeks. Hello, Eric Bischoff. Good evening. How are you? Well, I'm great. We are so excited to be sitting down chatting with you again about this uh, very eventful and shocking, shall we say, episode of Monday Nitro. 
before we get into that, what the hell have you guys done with Kaufman? Did you leave him in a ditch somewhere or what? <laughs> One would think, wouldn't they, if they've been tuning in for the last few weeks. He had a little scheduling conflict tonight, but uh, we do expect him back next week. He better. He does give his regards and all those cheesy things. <laughs> and, or else he uh, might get a FedEx uh, coming from us. Okay, maybe coming from well, you? Well, coming from you, yeah. I, I don't miss him a lick. I don't know about you guys. Nice. Not even. It's just me here in this frame. All, all roomy. All kinds of elbow space for me over here to, uh, to grill you, and I thought maybe we could kick it off tonight with a little game if you are so inclined, Mr. Bischoff. Let's do it. We're going to call this one, eh, could have been better. All right, we want to focus on the maybe the positives that can be seen in this uh, in the reset episode of Monday Nitro. So I'm going to have these two guys debate which segment had the most potential to be great from this episode of Nitro. Of course, we're talking about April 10th, 2000. And these guys are also going to get bonus points if they can give suggestions on how it could have been a little better. So this is all about taking what was pretty good and making it even better. And also, Josh is at a little disadvantage here since he is 3-0 and on this game. First Christian off, my name's Rosenberg. Christian. I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> He's 3-0, and so we put him as a disadvantage. He just heard this game. I literally just found out what this game is. For the first time right I'm now. I'm trying to let George win one. Uh, so let's see what happens. So, okay, we're debating on what could have been better. Yes. What, which, which, which segment I, what I like had the most potential? Okay. Yes. All right. So since you were in the know, you kick it off for okay. us, George Hermosa. And Eric will decide who he most agrees with. So, for example, I think Shane Douglas is very underrated in terms of mic skills. Ring skills, I think he was, you know, given whatever he's rated, you know. But as far as mic skills go, I think he was top-notch. And you put Ric Flair in there. So, I think just overall, I think we saw a little too much Ric Flair. You had him come out. Then you had him come out again. Then you had him come out again. It was just too much. Kind of put them together. Maybe tease a little bit. And, you know, I just feel like you could have had maybe more of a mic mic battle back and forth. It could have been better just without Russo. I think Russo, and I'm I'm not just saying that just because, you know, he's Russo. But, like, I don't need him coming in and all of a sudden he's doing the crotch chop and whatnot. It's like, you're doing too much, bro. You know, just take him out. Just have, like, have him come out. Maybe have Douglas come out, knock Flair, and then just battle back and forth. You know, build it up for a couple weeks. Okay, right. interesting. And now, Christian Rosenberg? Okay, now that I've had 30 seconds to think <laughs> of what I'm going to do. Um, so my, my thought with that would be with the, the Tank Abbott segment. <laughs> so obviously we did not like what he did with Mark Madden. We didn't like the wrist lock from a wrist watch um, line. However, if he's trying to call Goldberg out and just show, um, you know, I want, I, want, I want to fight you, I want to challenge you to that, then from there... You know, it could be like, all right, well, if you're not here tonight, I'm going to um, call someone out and have a fight with them. And whether it was a local person, another MMA fighter, mm-hmm. someone that not necessarily a wrestler, trying to, so to keep building up on the WCW stage, Tank Abbott the fighter, to eventually lead to a quote-unquote fight mm-hmm. with Goldberg, then that had the possibility because Tank Abbott and Goldberg, I mean, some, some people did want to see it. But obviously, with the whole Mark Madden aspect, um, that that was definitely a big no-no right. on what it was. But if it was altered like that, maybe something could have worked out with it. Okay, all great with thir- ideas. With 30 seconds, oh. I think that was okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we just gave these guys a chance to play creative a little bit. I think they figured out now how difficult that really is, Mr. Bischoff. So, uh, who do you agree with? Who, who had some great ideas here tonight? Well... 
really good observation on both parts. You know, really, really good observation about the Flair, Shane Douglas, Russo uh, setup. I agree with you a thousand percent. However, with Passover coming up right around the corner, <laughs> I I agree. I think we we could have done. I think the the margin for improvement was much greater in the Tank Abbott um, Goldberg setup. I think the Shane Douglas Flair thing was only going to be so good. I think had we eliminated uh, Russo and and had not had so much Flair, I think that segment would have been 15 or 20 percent better. However, I think if the Goldberg Tank Abbott setup would have been better, that had the ability to be significantly better. So I would have to give it to Mr. Rosenberg. You can't beat me! Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Once again, our winner making him 4-0, and Christian Rosenberg. Congratulations. How close am I to Goldberg streak? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, we're, we're, are we going to be here this long? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That was fun. Okay. We we like to, uh, you know, give our opinions and maybe uh, pretend like we no, could have done but, better, no, but they no, see no, how hard no, it would be. Those are really good observations. That's, uh, you know, it's, and it's always easy with hindsight, mm-hmm. you know, by of the course. way, not to bust your balls. But it's always easy looking something, looking at something after the fact and going, well, that could have been better if, as opposed to looking at it on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and, sure. and going into it, going, okay, we're going to produce this. Sometimes it's easier, you know, looking at it on tape after the fact. But I do think there would have been, I think we left a lot on the table with Goldberg and Tank Abbott. Yeah. Great observation. Well, we want to move into the Q&A portion of the show right now because I have one burning question. I'm so glad we get to sit down with you and do this because otherwise it would be very difficult to listen to the show <laughs> and not know that we could <laughs> follow up with you. Difficult to listen to my show or this show? Well, it would just, okay, for me personally because I'm very curious and I have to be able to ask the questions. So if I wouldn't be able to do that, you know, it would be hard. Got it. But I can, and you <laughs> dropped a little tiny bomb on this episode where you said, um, I was paying too much attention to the dirt sheets, or I was too into the dirt sheets or something at that time. What did you mean? You Were you trying to work with them? Were you just reading them? you got to elaborate on that a little bit for us. Well, at this time, no, I don't think I was, I wasn't working. I never worked with any of the dirt sheets. You know, that's a narrative that Dave Meltzer's put out there. I was communicating with him. I tried to establish a relationship with him. I tried to be friendly with him. But for him to suggest that we were like collaborating on anything is disingenuous. And that's being very, very freaking kind. (laughs) Um, But what I, what I meant by that was, look, there was a narrative. Everybody knew the situation that WCW was in. The fact that I got sent home in September uh, of 99 and the, the chaos ensued after that and all the drama that took place when, you know, Vince Russo cracked like a freaking eggshell and had to go home and, you know, mend his mind because the pressure got to him after 60 or 90 days. That was something that was, you know, the, a lot of wrestling fans knew about that. That was in the air. It was in the zeitgeist, as they like to say <laughs> in Hollywood, as you know. Um what I meant when I said that is I think we overcompensated. It's a little bit like, and Chrissy, you'll, you'll appreciate this. It's a little bit like driving down, you know, 35W in the wintertime in Minnesota when there's ice and snow all over the road. You start to lose control a little bit. And rather than just stepping off the gas and kind of letting go of the steering wheel, let the car straighten itself out, you tend to jerk the steering wheel one way or the other and you overcorrect. Oh, yeah. I think that's what we did. We overcorrected to try to compensate or mitigate the narrative that was out there. Mm-hmm. Looking back at it now, it was a mistake. In the middle of it, you know, 
obviously I thought it was the right thing to do, but it, it wasn't. Interesting. How'd you like that parallel? You know, driving <laughs> on 35W in the ice and snow. You get that, right? I, I totally do. I mean, my parents didn't really let me drive in the snow that much. <laughs> oh, God. I know. I was one of those girls. But I, I totes get it. Uh, you guys kind of briefly touched upon this on the episode. That Sid Scissors line that you gave to him, did he know you were going to say that? Please tell me no. that was just randomly like. And what was his reaction to that? He looked like he was legit pissed that you said that right in front of him. No, I didn't tell him in advance. As you guys you know, may know, it's no secret, I like to get real reactions from people when I produce television as opposed to say, oh, I'm going to say this, and when I say this, I want you to look really angry. You know, I want you to laugh or whatever. A lot of times when I would drop a line like that on somebody, and I did it fairly regularly, I kept it to myself. Sometimes I didn't even know I was going to do it until after I did it. Um, I like to improv my stuff, and I would wait until – that moment when I could really feel it and to answer your question no I didn't tell him uh, he wasn't angry after the fact oh. Sid and I always had a really good working relationship he reacted about as well as I could have hoped for him to react and just a quick follow-up this was around 10 months after he got I mean he came back around June or July of 99 what was that relationship with him and Arn Anderson because this was the first time he's back since that incident in late 93 you know, they were both professionals. I think enough time had gone by. And, you know, I wasn't there in Germany when that whole incident went down or wherever it was, Germany or England. I think it was in Germany. Uh, I wasn't there. I'm not taking anybody's sides. You know, over the course of 20 years, I've gotten a little bit of more information from different people who were there. Uh, Arn was no saint in that situation. Um, you know, it was just one of those things that happens sometimes in a bar when people are stressed, fatigued and drinking too much. Um, but neither party was innocent and neither party was completely guilty in that. I think they both recognized it and just moved on. Interesting. Um, speaking, speaking of Sid, so there was, there was a uh, table spot later on in this episode with the wall and Sid that didn't really get a fully executed. Sid didn't really get off the ground much, but he still went through the table. Obviously, Shivani did what he could to, to sell the impact of it with the count out. On a, in, a, in a large you know, production setting like this is, when when something like that occurs, when whether it's a bit uh, like a big spot through a table or something like that, where um, where it doesn't go as planned, when the, when the wrestlers get to the back, who who tends to be the most frustrated? Is it the producer of that, the guy who took the bump, the guy who delivered it? Um, is it a combination of them? Like who seems the most bummed out when a big moment like that doesn't go as planned? It's a little bit of this. He's pointing in every direction. No, I I think everybody's frustrated. Everybody's um, disappointed. Um, I don't remember exactly whose fault that really was. Look, Sid's a big guy. Sure. He didn't go up the way he should have gone up. Um, The table could have been prepared better. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that could have been done, done differently. You know, a little bit like the three count WrestleMania. Eh, didn't exactly go as planned, right. and you just have to go with it. Right. I, I think everybody shared equal amount of frustration, and it wasn't any one person's fault. Like so many things, it's a combination of errors. It's not one error. It's a combination of them. Okay. 
And um, after seeing last week's Dark Side of the Ring, which featured Randy Savage's relationship with Miss Elizabeth, we saw Lex Luger with Elizabeth on this episode of Nitro. What was their working relationship behind the scenes? What, what was the dynamic like between the two of them? Between uh, Lex and uh, Elizabeth? Yes. You know, they were so... You know, I think when that relation started out, they were trying to kayfabe it from everybody. Mm-hmm. So they were very, very discreet. You know, for example, I, I was probably one of the last people to know, um, which says a lot about my observational skill. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they kept that discretion, you know, whenever they were working together. When they, when they were at the building, you, you wouldn't, unless you knew, you didn't know that they had a personal relationship. So it was, it was about as professional as it could be, honestly. Now, once they left, you know, once they got out of the arena, it was quite obvious, but once they got to the arena, they were very professional and very discreet. Did you, as someone who worked with Elizabeth, did you see a a different woman than you had when she was with Randy at all? Well, I didn't know Randy and Lex when they were married and when they worked together in WWF, obviously. They were already, Elizabeth, they were already divorced. Elizabeth was actually uh, engaged to a gentleman who I think was in real estate down in Miami when she came to work for me. Um, I got to know Elizabeth from that point on. I hadn't known her before. I did watch her personality change over time, uh, more as, unfortunately, as a result of the drugs and, and the alcohol abuse. Uh, she, she, towards the end was much more, she had a shorter temper. She got a little more frustrated, a little angrier, not, not at me necessarily, but just in general, she, she changed quite a bit towards the end, but I attribute most of that to the drug and alcohol abuse more than anything else. Mm, Such a tragic story. It really, really is. And, you know, I, I know they didn't talk about it in, in the episode of Dark Side of Wrestling, but it took me a long time. In fact, they played a, a, a an interview that I did with Lex on one of my earlier podcasts. And it wasn't until that podcast was over that I could get myself really to even talk to Lex. I went for a long time. I'd see Lex at different conventions and, you know, we'd cross paths and I would literally, if I saw him across the room, I'd, I'd leave the building. I'd leave the wherever I was. If I was in a hotel lounge or restaurant and I saw him in there, I would just leave. Because I didn't want to face him. I was that angry at him um, because I, I saw what happened. But once I talked to Lex, and uh, you know, I encourage people to go back into the archives and find that interview. It was an amazing interview. It might be the best interview I've ever done or conducted with anybody. Lex was so honest, and he took the responsibility that he should have taken. He sees it now for what it was. He's a completely different human being than he was back then. But, you know, go back and listen to that that interview. And um after that, you know, at this point now, I have nothing but love and respect for Lex. You know, he really is a, a born-again individual in every way, not just from a religious perspective, but he is a completely different human being and one that I enjoy being around and I have respect for. But at that time, um, boy, it took me a long time to get over that one. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you offered so much insight on that show. Are we going to see you on more episodes? No, hell, I'm a one-and-done kind of guy. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so shoot, guys. we all watched this episode back a few days ago, um, and why Kidman? Because like we were watching it, and there was such a discrepancy in size and like Mike's and everything, and we all compared it to today. 
God bless him as an athlete and wrestler, Tony Nese, it'd be like him going up against Brock Lesnar. Like, they're just a, a very significant visual size difference. Like, why Kidman? You had a, a roster full of other guys. Like, why pick one of the smaller guys to kind of feud, feud with Hogan? Well, in that cruiserweight division, you know, and that was we, – we touched on this on one of our previous uh, episodes together. There was a lot of tension among the cruiserweights of not getting that opportunity to kind of break through the glass ceiling, so to speak. And when you look at Kidman in the cruiserweight division, he wasn't the smallest. You know, Ray Mysterio was, frankly. Um, at that time, Kidman was eh, probably in the middle of the pack size-wise within the cruiserweight division. As to why Kidman – you know, I think Kidman had more presence, more potential as an in-ring performer than almost anybody at that time. And we were tra- again, there's a little bit like the 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 overcompensation part that we talked about earlier. You know, this was an attempt, a failed attempt, a misguided attempt on my part to overcompensate for the narrative that these cruiserweights are never going to get a chance to work with a main event guy. And the thinking was, here's Billy Kidman. He's phenomenal in the ring. He wasn't that good on the mic, but he was phenomenal in the ring. Why not give it a try? Let's see if it works. This was a look, this was as much about experimentation and trying something new on this show as it was anything else. Uh, and but it, at the end of it all, we were still overcompensating in, in all honesty. Did that scare you going out there, thinking like, oh, we're sort of just trying things out? It, it doesn't sound like a situation where you could go out there in front of the crowd with a lot of confidence. Was that the case? No. I, did, I mean, I've never been afraid to fail. <laughs> Maybe I should rethink that. <laughs> well, well, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm but, oh, go ahead. Look, if, if you're producing television, particularly weekly, episodic television in a high profile, you've got to try new things. And sometimes you try new things that seem a little outside of the box, sometimes more than a little, but you've got to try. And anybody that's ever been in the creative position, in a high-profile position, um, that says they haven't tried something that failed is lying to you. But you can't be afraid of that. You're not going to find a way to break new ground if you're afraid to take the risk. So, yeah, it was – something that was so far outside of what one would expect that it made me want to try it. I love doing things that people don't expect. Oftentimes they don't work, but when they do, they work big and we took that risk, but no, I wasn't afraid of it. So on, on the heels of that though, you're saying, you know, trying to take the risks, doing the experiment with Kim and Hogan, yet the actual matches that really took place on the show when you were trying to push this, the new blood, starting to develop it, the actual matches were the older guys taking on each other. Yeah. So why wasn't there then an actual match, say, with Domino's Page versus, uh, just say Booker T, for example, someone that was in that ring of the new blood, where then, I mean, you had your segment with Kim, and you had the Mike Awesome segment, but you didn't have any actual matches involving it. Keep in mind, this was this was the beginning of a reset. This wasn't the entire reset sure. in two hours. We were establishing a story. We, the most important thing that we were trying to establish here is the line of demarcation between the new blood and the older established guys. It's not like we were going to be able to force, you know, fast forward into a program right. and immediately make matches that distinguish the new blood and the old guys. We had to build that feud. We had to build that story so that ultimately we could get into those matches, not try to put them all on one TV show. 
Well, Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And it doesn't sound like you struggled at all with the decision to return to WCW when they called you. Did you talk to any of your friends that were there, DDP or Hulk Hogan, and say, like, hey, dude, uh, what's the climate like over there? Do you think I should come back? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had been speaking to DDP a lot. Well, he was my neighbor, so I couldn't avoid it. Um, <laughs> but, but no, all kidding aside, I, you know, I, I, I talked to, to Hulk a little bit. Um, but Hulk wasn't around, you know, he'd show up, he'd do his TV thing. He'd go home, right. He wasn't in the, he wasn't in the, in the mix, so to speak on a daily basis. And I did talk to a few people that I knew that were, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't weigh their opinions very heavily. First of all, they're going to tell me what they think I want to hear. That's just the way (laughs) friends are, right? Great friends. Um, Huh? Great friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I didn't put a lot of stock in what anybody else really thought, um, and honest to God, the check was so freaking huge, it didn't mm-hmm. matter. <laughs> hey, we can respect that. <laughs> That's the truth. So we flip over to WWF, and you have the Raw Triple H, you know, fighting for the World Championship. No disrespect to Jeff Jarrett, but it's Jeff Jarrett. Like, and, and it's no secret that him and Russo were boys. You know, Russo shows up, Jeff Jarrett shows up on WCW at the same time. Did he have to push very hard to have Jeff Jarrett in that main event slot to be the world champion, or was there any pushback at all for Jarrett? There wasn't any pushback from Jarrett. Are you kidding? Or for um, Jarrett? regarding Jarrett from Jarrett you or from someone his else? Hand and say, yeah. I don't want to be in the main event. Does anybody think that that's ever happened ever? <laughs> no, I was concerned. And look, Jeff and I are friends, and if he hears this, he's probably going to take offense to it. You know, his feelings are going to be a little bit hurt, and I understand that. But I never saw Jeff as a main event guy. Russo did. I didn't. Um, This was a case where, as I said in the show, if you go back and listen to this episode of 83 Weeks, I wasn't – I was a little bit concerned with being too heavy-handed, you know, coming back on our first show. I wanted to see. Here's the thing, guys. I knew enough then to know that just because I felt some way or one way, it doesn't mean I was right. And I was, I went into this collaboration with Russo knowing that he was going to want to do things that I didn't necessarily agree with. But that's what happens when you collaborate sometimes. Sometimes you've got to give a little ground for two reasons. One, to maintain a collaborative relationship. Mm-hmm. It would have been really easy for me to come in and just big foot my way around and say yes or no to, to whatever it is you know Russo wanted to do. I could have done that given my role and responsibilities. But my intent was going, going into this was to try to make it work. And I was willing to, for two reasons. One, I'm, he might have been right. And we won't know unless we try. And number two, even if I was sure he was wrong, there's a point where you just got to kind of ease your way into that relationship as opposed to coming in with a ball-peen hammer and knocking the hell out of everything that gets in your way. So I I let that one go. But, you know, that was a difference of opinion. I've never seen – I never saw Jeff as a main event guy. I always saw him as a very, very talented – mid-card, upper mid-card, occasionally type of character, but been saw it differently. You've talked in the past about uh, Scott Hudson, uh, how he was you know, pretty underrated as far as a commentator, which I agree with. Why do you think he never really got a shot with WWE? Oh, well, first of all, I don't think he has the WWE style. Mm-hmm. Um, Vince is big on appearance to a large degree. And I think a bigger part of it, though, was Scott. You know, Scott had a very good job in law enforcement in Atlanta. 
and he had a family. I don't think Scott would have been interested. No, I, I could be wrong. I've never asked him, but just knowing he had a very, very solid career uh, in law enforcement, I don't think he would have been interested in going to WWE or WWF at the time. I think he was he really liked his spot in WCW because he didn't have to give up his day job, which he, you know, he, he had a very good day job. <laughs> well, just one more question for you. I know you were a little under the weather when you recorded this episode with Conrad. Are you feeling better? <laughs> you know, I am today. I got to tell you, I was sick all last week. I ended up going to, where was I? Where did I just get back from? Milwaukee. I was in Milwaukee ah. this weekend. <clears throat> sure enough, I'm flying home on Sunday. I get to Minneapolis to connect my flight. The flight was late getting into Minneapolis. I sit there for three hours, about one o'clock in the morning. They say, oh, sorry, we're not going to be able to get you to uh, to where you're going until tomorrow. And oh, by the way, all the hotels are sold out. So I ended up sleeping on the floor in uh, at gate uh, F-15 at the Minneapolis International Airport, Minneapolis St. Paul International Airport. And by the time I got home, I felt like crap. But uh, I got up this morning and... Two quarts of Benadryl, fistful of Sudafed, and some electrolytes, and here I am, ready yes. to go. <laughs> and now you're feeling good. All right, we 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 need we need fans to go to that gate at the airport and take <laughs> photos, and and you know like pretend like oh this is where Bishop napped. <laughs> this is where well, it happened. I'll tell you what, you can go on my Twitter feed because I took a picture. I was actually I, I you know I was too tired to even be mad. Have you ever have you ever been oh, so yeah. exhausted? You just go. Ah, uh, effort. You know, <laughs> get over it. So I literally, I took a picture because they had mats laying all over the airport. Because evidently, over the weekend, a lot of people got stranded in Minneapolis. So I'm looking around and I see these. They look like little gem mats laying all over the place. So I figured, oh hell of it. You know, I'm going to make the most of it. I went over. I got a mat. I took my backpack, made a pillow out of it, threw my jacket over it, put in my earphones, and lay there and tried to fall asleep. <laughs> And I took a picture of it, so you can find it on my Twitter feed. <laughs> Almost like you've done a little traveling in your life, and you know what's up. Yeah, but i got to tell you, Chris, <laughs> I'm too old for that shit. I don't ever want to have to sleep on an airport floor again for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, we won't ever ask you to do anything but Skype from your own home, and we appreciate you doing that again this week, Eric. So... I know, and here's the best part. I get to do it in my underwear. <laughs> I love it! <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I would let these guys do that, too, if our desk wasn't see-through. Oh, it's see-through? <laughs> God, that would, ruin, that would ruin everything. <laughs> right? Right? Before we get too awkward here, I think yeah. we should just go right. ahead and let, and let you go. Underwear. <laughs> but thank you so thank much, you, sir. Eric, and uh, we will chat with you again next week. We're looking forward to it. Can't wait. See you guys Thanks. next week. Bye-bye. Oh, all right. Man, I just love to do this every week. We get to sit down. We get to pick his brain. And, you know, not that I wouldn't like to listen to his show if we couldn't do this. It's just that <laughs> I would, it would kill me to know that he I totally wasn't going to be able to ask him wow. the questions. Totally I know. But we get to do that, and we love it. And remember, if you guys have questions for Eric, you can always send them to us. Use hashtag after 83 weeks or hit us up on our social media. Where would they do that at? Christian Rosenberg? Well, as the Goldberg of this panel. <laughs> I love it. Because I cannot lose. Follow me on Twitter at Will Rosenberg, Instagram, TheWillRosenbergPresentees.com slash Christian Rosenberg. Check me out hosting the AfterBuzz Smackdown After Show. Superstar Shake-Up. Lots of stuff going on. Yeah, You're big like acquisition the, the, this the week. The Tatanka. I'm the Tatanka. Tatanka was undefeated for a while. Yeah, I, that's uh, a good streak. Yeah, George Ramoza, G-H-E-R-M-O-Z-A, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, all the above. 
Anyway, you get there? You guys can always hit me up at Christy Reports. We also did a fun watch along for this episode of Nitro. You can check that out at youtube.com slash Christy Reports. And we will see you next week. It looks like they are covering Spring Stampede 1994. And we will be here to chat all about it. So we'll see you then. Have a great week. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.